1: It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will
3: demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Wednesday, November 7th. This is episode 227. I'm a fully bearded and four-eyed, (laughs) bushy-tailed Mr. Dan. I'm not all that bushy-tailed, man. I'm fucking tired. I'm tired all the time now. I'm tired of being tired. That's (laughs) what happened. You're getting old.
4: you got glasses. Your beard's growing back in. You had to get a tooth fixed. You're getting
0: old. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's what's happened. It's fucking work, man. It's just, it's, I know now why people in high stress jobs, like they take the, they take the job and like, you know, four years later, five years later, it looks like they've aged 10 yeah. years because it'll fucking do it to you, man. Well,
4: I got a shitty week of work coming up. Oh yeah. I get to work Friday, Saturday. Hopefully, come home Sunday and then back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Awesome. No. <laughs> I hate, I hate the shift changes where I get like one day off and I'm there for
3: a long time. Yeah. Just living at the station.
4: Yep. And if someone calls off on Sunday, I am pretty high on the list to be directed to work. Uh huh. But I'd rather get directed on Sunday.
3: You get the, voluntold.
4: Yeah. It's pretty much, <laughs> hey, guess what? You're up on the list. <laughs> You're working today.
3: Thanks for volunteering,
4: Ryan. Yeah, but I hope it happens in a way, I hope it happens on Sunday instead of having it happen on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to get off that day and we got
3: plans. Oh, so that's right. I heard about your your yeah plans. Well, I hope you do get off that day. I do too.) <laughs> 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 what do you guys been doing over the last week? Well, work, work, yeah.
4: <laughs> I haven't done anything. So just taken out to the park and not doing any extracurricular work this week. No
3: filming or anything this week. No, no. It's been it's been pretty easy. All quiet on the video front for right now. Oh, good, good, good. And you, sir you weren't you weren't here last week. When I, I know. You
0: man feels like I haven't seen you guys since 1984.
3: <laughs> hey, that was when I was born. Is it? Yeah, it was, it was I think it was an Orwell reference.
0: Yeah, it was also the same year I was born. Uh-huh. Um, I had some interesting conversations. Yeah, and uh, brought a couple of thoughts to share with you guys about it. Oh, please do. Ooh, one like- is that uh, hell, I was told, is only for people who deny God, and it's not suffering. It's just separation from God, which is what they wanted anyway.
3: Well, wouldn't that be at least some type of suffering?
0: Yeah. Well, I. I as I said, I'm like I don't think the doctrine supports this view.
4: And
3: well, is this Mormon <laughs> no. doctrine? Uh, yeah, well, or? well, I've, I've it's
0: he- I've heard that come from Mormons. They say, yeah, well, hell is just separate from God. It's a Mormon, yeah. But I think it's a way to soften it so that they don't feel weird about how awful it is. You know, yeah. Uh, that, oh, they're not suffering; they're just getting what they wanted. It's just different from what everyone <laughs> well, else. Then gets.
4: how is that suffering? It's like they didn't want
0: God in their lives anyway. Right? Exactly. I want an ice cream, not
2: cheesecake.
3: <laughs> I got what I wanted. <laughs> uh, so so, a, so it's just a separation away from God, which, it, I mean, that fits within Mormon doctrine because they purportedly well, don't believe in like the the biblical hell or the more mainstream vision of hell. Mm. There's no real hell in Mormon doctrine. But it's it's – You've got the three levels of heaven, yeah. and then you've got outer darkness.
4: But in the three levels of heaven, isn't God in the top level? Uh-huh. So if you're in the bottom two levels of heaven, you're still not with God. It's true. But he can visit those levels. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's like you're in a nice swanky hotel, Yeah, and God's on the in the penthouse having a fucking rocking time, and you ain't invited.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
4: He might come down the elevator. There's he an might eternal see party him.
3: going on, and you just aren't going to no. get an invite.
4: Yep. So is that not hell? I guess
3: not. Apparently. I don't know.
4: Yeah. You're still separate. Uh huh. Cause who says hell can't go to dark outer darkness and go,
0: hey guys? Well what if God can be in more than one place at one time?
3: Then why can't he be in And all he's the supposedly places? everywhere at all times? So Fuck. so there can't be a separation from him. Yeah, that yeah. and then and then what about otherwise. outer darkness? I mean, even then, does he is he barred from entering outer darkness or I would think not. If he created he's gotta be welcome in it. Uh well, he also would have created hell, though right, so true, but there's this thing there is no hell well right, but i'm from Mormon theology, yeah. sure, but your traditional Christian theology
4: I bet he goes down to visit his brother in hell for fucking holidays
3: his brother well, depend on how, like if it's
4: God uh-huh. and it's well jesus what son cousin. What are you talking about? Who, the who devil? are you talking about? He's visiting though. Satan is Jesus's brother in Mormon theology. In Mormon theology, I, well, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So God would be visiting his brother in hell for the holidays. Oh,
2: well, okay. yeah.
3: If you if you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully the, the whole like <laughs> oh, it's all it's just a, such fucking silly it's, nonsense, it's right? A it's a mess. It's, yeah, it's like talking about fucking comic book stuff. Yeah, to mm-hmm. say it's
4: so it's so confusing that we can't make up. A fake story for it
3: and like i i like comic book stuff like i don't buy comic books anymore I, I think i bought a few when i was younger i don't buy comic books i don't i don't study canon for all of these different things like i like superhero movies some of them are, are decent i think they're entertaining i know matt doesn't like them very much but i mean conversations with christians about this kind of thing it's just like okay well so you have a uh you know, a sci-fi fantasy novel that you're basing your life on and arguing about whose imaginary friend can beat up somebody else's imaginary well, friend.
4: And then you got to pick which writer you're basing that off of in the comic book because each writer has their own spin on it, mm-hmm. just like religious texts.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's – and and – the problem is that once you get into a conversation it shifts from being a comic book to a choose your own adventure. Yeah. so when they when they when they don't want to get pinned down on the hell problem, they just say, "Well, it's not suffering, it's just separation." And that's what they wanted anyway. Yeah. That's not what the doctrine says. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hell isn't a bad place, excuse
3: me? <laughs> you've just making shit up now to make yourself feel yeah. better about something like you have enough cognitive dissonance that you've yeah. at least recognized how fucking terrible what you believe is and so you're trying to come up with excuses for it yeah and uh
0: i had one other thought in the spirit of thanksgiving month Mm -hmm. um when we're talking about well for i'll just start out by saying like people who pray over their food or whatever like Oh yeah, there, there, and there's a lot of I, you know, non-believers that will say, "Well, I don't," see, you know, even Richard Dawkins has said, "I don't see anything wrong with you know being thankful for what you have or whatever." Yeah, that's all fine. The problem, though, is if you're a believer of the Omnimax God,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, when you give him, when you give him the responsibility, uh, when you make him responsible for for, for giving you that food you're also making him responsible for denying it to the starving people. Mm-hmm. He's responsible for that as well. So mm-hmm. uh so that becomes a problem um in my mind at least if you if you're an omnimax believer uh there's no such thing as like luck or anything like you know god is doing all of the stuff. So if you have a string of bad luck that god is doing that to you or at least allowing it to happen or it's just a test. Well yeah. but if so, this gets back into if he's omni max and he knows the outcomes of everything, mm-hmm. then he, yeah, I guess allowing it to happen, but in a sense, he's doing it because he he said everything in motion, yeah, he's yeah, yeah he knowing what the outcome motion.
3: would be what what circumstances you're gonna find yourself,
0: yeah, but so my main point about this leading into Thanksgiving and stuff for the omni max God believers praying for the meal that's ridiculously bigger than anything they ever need is super selfish and kind of awful because they're also saying that God is denying these other people.
3: We're so special. Yeah. Those other people who also pray to God every day that they won't be starving, that he would provide them some food and he doesn't. Well, they're just not worshiping him in the right way. Mm-mm. They're doing something wrong. He has a plan for them. You're supposed yeah. to worship with the pants around your ankles. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they supply a multitude of different answers, right? They they're not praying the right way, they're not praying to the right God, they're not they're not being fully worthy. Um, what was the one you just said?
4: Uh, they don't believe it in their heart.
3: Yeah, they don't believe it in their heart. They I mean, they'll come up God with God has a plan for them. Yeah, God yeah. has a plan works in mysterious for them. ways. Right, yeah. 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 This is just
4: a test for you.
3: Right. Yeah. And he unfortunately needs to make, you know, uh, an example of some people in order to teach them and the people who witness what happens to these other people. You know, they need to learn a valuable lesson. Right. Rather than this suffering,
0: rather than just giving them what they need and also giving them the putting in them the experience of having that without going through it. He doesn't do that. He just makes you go through it. That's what pisses me off.
3: Yeah. They say God can move mountains. Your faith can move mountains, but apparently it can't feed tens of thousands and millions of people every day. So what good is moving a fucking mountain?
4: I also especially hate it when some kid dies in a tragic accident.
3: Is there food under the mountain? Ooh, (laughs) food mountain.
4: (laughs) But I hate it when people have the the response when like a kid dies in a tragic accident. They say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, then why the fuck did God give you a dead kid?
0: Yep. Yeah, that's that's a, pretty fucking shitty of him to be like, well, you can handle a dead kid. Here you go. That's a bad gift. Yeah. That is a bad gift. Uh. So anyway, happy Thanksgiving out there.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. Dead and starving children.
3: I haven't been doing a whole lot. I, well, I've been trying to rebuild some antique lights up in the main bathroom upstairs. Semantic lights? Some some semantic? No, there. Did An- I say semantic? Some antique. I think. Oh, yeah, some yeah. antique lights. Yes, some antique ceramic lights. Ooh, and because Frag- they're ceramic and like fragile, and they're they were handmade and then hand painted, and so the the opening there they're sconces basically, okay. right? Mm. With the with the fitter for the lamp shade or the bulb shade. Pointing upward, so you know you so mm-hmm. the bulbs are all pointing upward, if that makes any sense to anybody, I can basically I can the bulbs it. don't hang down they they point up yeah, and the so the fitter on all of these lights, because they're all hand created is a different fucking size and it's not <laughs> and it's not anywhere close to standard and so we've ordered I think four different kinds of lamp shades for it. finally found some that will fit into the actual light fixture itself and but the The neck on the Mm lampshade isn't long enough to prevent it from tipping either way, you know, so they're, it's just been Mm. a fucking nightmare. So I'm basically having, I've, I've had to come up with my own custom way of like rebuilding the guts of the lights and like the supporting screws and the cap screws and duct tape. It's been, it's been a real project for me. Like, I've spent more on these fucking lights than <laughs> than is reasonable, then, I think.
4: Then y- more than it would have cost to have just gotten a modern replacement? Oh, absolutely.
3: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, yeah, it's just, it's been a nightmare. But I think I finally have all of the things I need to do it, including I had to go buy a vice because I've got a, i have got aii bought like a three or four foot section of threaded. Pipe? metal <laughs> to basically create my own screws. Okay. Yeah. So I had to, I had to get a vice. I've always wanted a vice anyway. I, and <laughs> when I was younger, I didn't have the money hey, to get a vice and God's taught us vices aren't good. Now, now I was able to go and spend the $60 <laughs> for a decent vice to mount on my workbench <laughs> in the garage. And yeah, it's just been, it's been one thing after another. And like I've gone to the hardware store. I don't know, probably 10 different times just to get shit for these lights and trying different things. And then we, now we want to, because they're these old antique lights, we also want to get like some cool Edison style oh, yeah. bulbs to put I've in got there some of those at home. And, yeah. So it's just been a real project. I'm hoping to have it done before Thanksgiving when family is going to be here and staying with us. And the first, <laughs> the first lights, the, the first bulbs that I got to put in there, they're Edison bulbs, but they're also uh fairly dim <laughs> That's uh, I haven't had
4: a bright Edison bulb. Yet. I found some online okay. that
3: I ordered. They should be here in a couple of days, but the the first bulbs that I got in there are kind of dim and they kind of give off a reddish tint Okay. and well, you are colorblind and that bathroom upstairs, <laughs> like the whole bathroom needs to be remodeled. It has this really fucking awful wallpaper. It's a little funky and, that one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really fucking weird. Like the the bathroom absolutely needs to be remodeled. I think it's, Probably like the only room in this house that hasn't been remodeled or, or hasn't been touched very much, at least for Mm -hmm. decades. And so with those, there's four light fixtures in there and I've only, I only got two to where I could put the bulbs in them as I'm testing different stuff to see what works and what doesn't. And so the, the, the light bulbs that I got to put in there, the Edison style, they're kind of dim and they kind of have a reddish tint. It's a really warm, low light. And it looks like a creepy fucking murder room when I turn the lights on in there when it's dark, <laughs> like because only one part of it is lit up, and it's like this reddish dim light in there with this shitty old like fading wallpaper and those weird ass mirrors that are. They're, mm-hmm. they're I mean they're cool in the right light, but in in this reddish dim light, <laughs> it's, it's a like, horror film. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a scene out of a horror film in there. See, I like I like
4: those Edison bulbs because I got a few of them like in the kitchen light and the hang down. Mm-hmm. Because you can see the elements in them, mm-hmm. right? That's why I've always liked that. I think they just look neat.
2: Yeah,
3: are yours the LED
4: version? No, or they're straight up. the, my, the ones I have, incandescent? they're they're incandescent. They, they kind of give off more of a yellowish yeah light than a white.
3: Well, and the ones I the ones I have up there now are LED, and the the ones that I ordered are also LED. But okay. they've formed the LED parts into to, the okay to look like the filaments in a regular huh. Edison bulb. Yeah, I'll have to look those up. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I dig them. But there's that. And then work, people at the office didn't recognize me yesterday. I've been, I've Mm. gone to the office, you know, once each week for the last couple of weeks and the first week, like nobody, nobody stopped by my desk or anything. And I think it's because nobody, absolutely nobody recognized me (laughs) without the beard and with the glasses. And then when I went to the office yesterday, I was unfortunate enough to be sitting in a cubicle where Dampf had a friend in the area that he was coming to visit and, with my new job i'm i'm on the phone and in meetings like all fucking day there's there's maybe 2 hours in the entire day that i'm not on the phone or in a fucking meeting shit and and i have just my little earbud headphones in that are that are wireless so you can't really see them in my ears if you're looking at me straight on mm-hmm. or whatever and i was on the phone in a fucking meeting and he just walks over in my cubicle, slaps me on the. Oh, hey, Dad! Thought that was you. I don't know, barely recognized you yeah. without the beard and everything. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, kind of brushes yeah. arm off of me, and I'm like pointing to my ear and making a phone mo- motion and pointing at the computer, like mouthing, "Hey, I'm on a call." You know, I'm in a fucking meeting. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'll let you get back to what you were doing. I just want it like,
2: going on and on about that. He's going to leave me alone. It's
3: like, no, you just fuck off and leave me alone. Like, just stop what you're doing right now. You're not and fuck off and go away. And so he makes this whole big scene. Then he's talking really loud. to some. It's just a fucking nightmare to have to go into the office these days because it's open air cubicles. Yeah. And yeah, it's. And then if I'm talking, then people around me are disturbed because then they always, you know, everybody complains, well, it's so loud in here. I can hardly, you know, hear myself think and it's really distracting. So I don't know that I'm going to be going into the office much in the future. I talked to my, talked to my boss about it today and he's like, Oh yeah, that sounds like a real problem. We'll have to fix that. So. (laughs) Like I'm going to get a waiver on that requirement that I go into the office twice a week. He's he's, he's going to give you a corner office. No, he's going to just let me work from home all the time. (laughs) Um, But then, then he finishes up his conversation and I'm still in my fucking meeting and he finishes up his conversation. And as he's walking back by again, he's like, Hey, are you still on the phone? I just wanted to say hi. I haven't seen you for a while. And it's like, dude, yes. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Give him, give him a thumbs up. Give him a little wave. Like, walk off. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll let you go. Uh, <laughs> like we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a, they, when I was on that team, we did this thing where we made an accomplishment. And so the boss for the old team uh, hosted a pizza party for the old team. And I went to that with my old coworkers because I was on the team when we did this thing. And so I had to sit in there with Dan for half half hour, just question after stupid fucking question, inappropriate questions. Another guy on the team, uh his wife passed away this week, died this week. I don't like when people use euphemisms for, <laughs> for dying. <laughs> so his wife died this week and Danf is in an email replying to the boss who sent this out. Hey, you know, one of your coworkers, this person, you know, we were get to inform you that their wife passed away. We'll be yeah. sending out a card for you to sign. If you want to donate some money, whatever. And damp, fucking replies and he's like oh that's too bad i can really feel for him because of course damn, his wife his died, wife died uh, last year. me yeah. me 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 yeah, exactly yeah. had to fucking make it about him i know exactly how he feels was she sick for very long oh. how did she die like if that was any of your fucking business yeah. you would know like you don't you don't fucking just everything about that guy drives me nuts and so i don't think i'm gonna go into the office anymore <laughs> i just be like
4: his wife ate a bullet because someone kept fucking bothering her.
3: <laughs> well, you know, this coworker kept coming home and telling his wife about having to deal with you all day, and she just couldn't take it anymore. That's what <laughs> fucking happened, okay? She just she died she uh, just wasted away because she couldn't handle having to hear one more fucking story about what an awful person you are. That's been my week. We've got some exciting stuff coming up on today's show. There's been a fuck ton of news, of uh, course. Yeah. The midterm elections happened yesterday. We'll talk about the results of the midterm elections, what that means for the future. We've got Taylor Grin coming on to talk with us about that and a recent debate between David Frum and, and Steve, Steve Bannon, Bannon that there was a big hullabaloo. I mean, ultimately the debate, I thought the debate itself was kind of boring, but but there was there was a whole lot of hullabaloo surrounding the debate that I think was – Ultimately, more interesting than, the, than well, the debate itself.
4: I thought about when I was watching it, like this kind of goes directly into what, like we were talking about with Tr- Taylor last week mm-hmm. about, hey, what kind of platforms do we deplatform people from? Yeah.
3: Yeah. The platform and, and then just the way Bannon constructed his arguments and all of the dog whistles that he explicitly said, this isn't a dog whistle. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> but so we'll talk about that. Uh, talk about some other news stuff if we get some time
0: also I forgot to mention Ryan our teams had a competition oh they did yeah (gasps) who Uh, won my team won oh Uh, you didn't even watch you didn't pay attention or anything
4: I haven't I've watched maybe two games Uh, in the last three
0: years (laughs) 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 it was like it was a pretty good game it was 17 17 into the fourth quarter
4: I I I figured they were playing because I had a buddy text me go hey your team's going down I'm like oh they're not doing so well he's like yeah they're playing I'm like oh Okay. They're playing,
3: so yeah, they're not doing well.
4: Sounds like the Raiders. Yeah, I, I kind of, since I got rid of cable, I haven't watched football at all.
0: Mm. Oh, the Raiders, man. Oh,
3: terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Every year I hold out hope, and then within two or three games of the season, I'm like, oh, I guess I'll watch something else on Sundays and Thursdays. Mm. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to some other stuff. Okay. This is Matt Dillahoney,
1: and you're listening to The Godless Revolution.
3: I blame Tribulation Trump because he's a demon. Yes. Rejoining the
1: Godless Revolution podcast now.
3: So I want to welcome back to the show, friend of the show and super smart, intelligent feller, Mr. Taylor Greene. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Super good. Now I'm tired, man. I'm just fucking tired of everything. I'm tired <laughs> of fucking politics. I'm mm-hmm. now, I'm not really tired of politics. I'm kind of a politics junkie. I'm tired of politics, not going the way I want it to go. That's what I'm tired of.
1: Well, I I hope that part of what I can do tonight is persuade you a little bit out of that stance. Okay. Um, The, the wave was a big fucking deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, um,
3: so let's talk right. So right now, I believe as it stands, Democrats picked up twenty eight seats in the House, seven governorships, and have lost seats in the Senate was it so far. Four? I can't remember. Yeah,
1: but we expected them to lose seats in the Senate. Yeah. Um, like we we were hoping that they would do better than expected and get seats out of the Senate, but we expected them to lose between one and three.
0: Yeah. The one that killed me was the yeah. Ted Ted Cruz reelection.
3: I I oh, was disappointed I but I wasn't surprised. It yeah, was damn close. Race. Yeah, I I I really really was pulling for Beto O'Rourke, but and he he made a hell of a show out of it. I mean, it it was very very close. I think it's the closest anybody's come in a really yeah. really long time there in Texas. I was but, also hoping Rick yeah, Scott was. Votes. Yeah. 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 So I know that there were there was a much larger voter turnout this year than in your typical midterm uh election season. Do we have any indication of the breakdown of percentage of increase in democratic votes versus republican votes?
1: Um I haven't looked at that metric specifically. I can say that typically a um Midterm is going to have about 20% of the turnout that a presidential election has. Mm-hmm. This midterm had 75% of the turnout that the presidential election normally has, which is insane.
3: Yeah. 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 I, I heard another statistic earlier today that said that there were six, roughly six million more votes cast for Democratic candidates than there were for for Republican candidates. So even with a lower voter turnout, they still doubled the number of people. Basically, the difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton voters during the presidential cycle was roughly 3 million, and they more than doubled that in a midterm with no president available. Mm -hmm. When you just look at Democrat versus Republican voting and voting for those candidates. Right
1: right and i I think that what we're starting to see and this is probably like the most pundit response i've ever had up to this point um (laughs) i think what we're starting to see is um the decline of the boomers and the rise of of gen x and the millennial generation
2: yay um
1: yeah yeah oh i'm with you fuck the boomers um uh yeah I, I think that's what we're seeing in 2016 we saw for the first time that millennials were voting on parity with the uh, boomers i haven't been able to see any good uh demographics yet and i'm sure i won't for at least another couple of weeks but uh, i strongly suspect that millennials are starting to outperform boomers and that's going to have profound effects
2: God, I and hope women
1: so. too um i i cannot not talk about women their turnout was insane and no matter the education level or the ethnicity women they're overwhelmingly voting democrat
3: right because they're smarter yeah. than us fucking dudes man well, i don't know if it's about intelligence <laughs> but like
0: you know like republicanism favors men a lot better than oh absolutely. You know that's why yeah. you get those macho chest thumpers that uh roll coal and vote Republican.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
0: um, I'm a a sophisticated analyst here. (laughs) So here in the state of Utah. I was just
1: going to say women's natural predilection is supposed to be caring and that's the democratic thing. It's not my actual view.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So here in Utah, we're still waiting for results in the Mia Love versus Ben Ben McAdams McAdams race. But. From everything that I can see, and projecting the existing numbers with the rate of return that we're seeing in the different counties, the the Salt Lake County vote for Ben McAdams is insurmountable for Mia Love. President dipshit himself yeah. today said that Mia Love has lost, though she's not yet conceded. And mm. Utah County is very is being very difficult in turning over their election results so far, so they still have not called it. I, I don't think it's been updated since early, early this morning. And they're
4: not going to update it until next Friday, they said, I think.
3: Next Friday? Yeah. Oh, wow. They th- have they have two weeks uh-huh. to, to certify, go through yeah. and
4: certify all the absentee ballots. They're not going to give up their numbers until they get all the absentee ballots, all of the uh, mail-in ballots, everything checked and double-checked and counted.
3: Yeah.
1: Because I think— Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the Salt Lake Tribune, and I'm seeing something very similar.
3: Yeah, I think the writing on the wall is that Mia Love has lost and they're just going to stall and delay that as long as they can before they have to face what they believe is that awful reality that Mia Love has lost. Mm-hmm. But I, I think McAdams ran a good campaign. I think he's a, a decent guy. You know, we're in Utah, so he's not the most progressive of people, but yeah. he's a damn sight better than any of the Republicans that we have elected. So he's a what? A damn sight better. <laughs>
1: Well and here's the deal. Um he will vote, and that means he will vote for the House Speaker to not be Paul Ryan. Yeah. Um and he contributes to the majority that gives the Democrats chairmanship in very, very important committees in the House like the Judiciary Committee and the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee that will allow them to do things like subpoena voting records, uh, or sorry, not voting records, subpoena tax returns, subpoena um, emoluments clause related documents uh, uh, with the administration. Um, and, and this is the thing that's always pissed me off is that Republicans will look for any reason to vote for their candidate, and Democrats will look for any reason not to vote for theirs, Uh, forgetting that elections have consequences and owning the house is ridiculously important. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we learned that lesson this year.
3: Yeah. I still, I still wonder how much of that lesson we've learned. I think, I think a lot of people did, but not nearly as many as should have learned it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. still, yeah, we had, we had a much higher turnout than in typical years, but still we should, we, we should see much higher voting. M- much higher voting percentages of the overall populace. I'm always so disappointed when I look at the the number of people who can vote and don't. One of the things that I thought was awesome in this election, particularly in Florida, was that they have restored voting rights for convicted felons yeah. in the state of Florida. That I think is awesome. I think it's terrible that people were facing this double jeopardy of yeah. serving their time and then nav- never being allowed to vote. It was, people who yeah. would represent them. Yeah. It was over. Right. Right. Well, close once to you've done your
1: punishment, you're done. Like you're, you're clean.
3: Yeah. 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 Or you should be anyway. I mean, you've done your time. You shouldn't be punished after doing your time.
1: Right. Right.
3: But you still are anyway, because then you have a convict record. Mm. People are going, you know, you've got to answer that on applications yeah. at most businesses. So you're already facing a handicap when, when, Trying to rejoin the workforce and then not being allowed to vote and perhaps, you know, enforcing some regulations that say you can't ask people that that kind of thing. You can ask them different things. You know, you can you can word it differently, create regulations that say you can't say, have you ever committed a felony? It would be have you ever committed a crime that would affect your employment here or or you know, call into question that you should be employed here. Like if you're applying at a bank, you want to make sure that you don't employ a bank robber probably. So things like that. I mean, I, I,
1: I kind of disagree. Like if, if an individual serves a, um, like a just punishment for a crime and then they are like completed with that term, that prison term or whatever is associated with it, Um, I think to a certain degree, like now give them the benefit of the doubt, like they're out, they've done what they were supposed to do Mm. and and honestly, like wait for them to commit a crime again, like like, take your banking example, right? Banks are FDIC insured. Mm. So if somebody, let's say did commit a crime of like robbing a bank and then for whatever crazy reason wants to work at a bank after they've served their prison sentence, okay. If they rob the bank again, you punish them again and you recoup your losses with your insurance. Um, mm. rather than like not allow that person to seek a job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that that, that same reasoning could be applied so broadly that like somebody with a prior conviction couldn't get any, uh, type of employment. If you use that kind of logic, like more broadly than that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah, know, maybe that... I'm wrong. Like I'm open to being persuaded otherwise on that. But no. I think like once you have served your punishment, you're done.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I... Unless you're a pedophile. I agree you with definitely you. Definitely shouldn't be a school teacher. <laughs> it's something that I'll have to yeah. think about a little bit more. I mean, it's maybe it's one of those things where it's like three strikes and you're out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm not. I'm not referring to like the three strikes law or anything. <laughs> I mean, I am referring to that, but I think it's a terrible thing. Um, yeah, I I did see one other
4: uh, a resolution that got passed in a state that kind of flew way under the radar, hmm. and Washington State had the only. Uh, gun measure to make guns more restrictive hmm. in the state. And it passed. I think they said with an over 60, it was right around 60% of the vote it got.
3: Do you know what the um, measure was?
4: Uh, uh, semi automatic rifles and semi automatic weapons. You have to be 21 and older to purchase them. Hmm. Uh, 10 day waiting period on the purchase of firearms. All guns have to be either locked in a safe or have a trigger locking mechanism. And if the gun is used, if the gun is taken, in a crime, and it wasn't locked, uh, you are now punishable for that. You're culpable, and th- I think that was, that was about it. Yeah. So, mm. basically, saying we want you like you, by law, you have to keep your guns locked up because we don't mm. want when your kids getting your guns and shooting somebody mm-hmm. with them. Mm. And if your kid does commit a crime with your gun, guess what? You and your child are both fucking going to jail
1: for it. Mm. Yeah, and and I mean I like a lot of anti-gun control folks try and say like, Oh, what about self-defense? It's like, I have a fingerprint unlocked gun safe under my nightstand right now. Yeah. That. Yeah. There's no reason not to lock your gun.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we could implement a lot of technological advances there. Like instead of even having to have a safe for your gun, put, put a bio scanning device into the weapon itself that it can only be fired by the owner. Right. It's, registered to this person it's got it's got controls built into the gun itself that nobody else can even fire it even if well, it is unlocked and
4: i have seen people that showed that you can actually hack those
3: well you can hack anything but uh, you can hack yeah. a fucking well the guy, safe also the guy hacked it with
4: mean. a magnet
3: yeah yeah he, he put a magnet in his palm yeah. and held it for, on one, for one type of thing, sure, but there are other controls they can make yeah. and as they well I that mean, was it's, it's an arms race as yeah. far as securing because well, I right? think
4: that there's only one major company right now that's making the bioscan things where you got to wear a, a little r f i d watch or whatever to unlock the gun and
3: you, well, and that's a that's a different thing. I'm talking about building it into the gun itself, not something that you have to add to the anyway that's yeah. it, we're getting way <laughs> off track here um <laughs> So what what did you find particularly heartening about the election? So
1: the the last data I looked at, um we've had two big wave years in the last couple of well the last decade or so, uh 2006 and 2010. Um in the wave year in 2006 there was something like a uh, um oh gosh, I want to say it was 5.6 or shit I can't remember that number specifically, but it was somewhere around five percent uh, or sorry, five points that the Democrats outdid the Republicans. Right. And that led to a significant shift in House seats. And then again, in 2010, the red wave that happened as a result of the uh, Tea Party movement had a difference in 6.7 points. Right. And so that's uh, I think the numbers come out to where it would be like 46 to 53 kind of deal. right? Um, this wave had a seven-point difference between the Democrats and Republicans. Now, it's only likely to have caused a difference in about 23 seats, whereas the um, election in 2010 led to a difference in 63 seats. Oh, wow. yeah. And the reason for that difference in seats is as a result of the gerrymandering that happened from Project Redmap when Republicans took a whole bunch of governorships in 2010 gerrymandered their districts and made it so that even though we had a bigger difference in turnout in raw votes for representatives this year, we got a third of the seats we ought to have by 2010 numbers. Um, So why am I heartened by that? This is the biggest wave that we've seen in the last half century. Um, And that speaks to a lot. We've also got younger representatives. We've got significantly increased turnout from youth voters. Um, It looks like millennials are finally showing up to the polls even in off years, and the amount of um, individual donations, like the 30 million or so that went to Beto, you know, not a a single corporate donation went to Beto. Those are all huge fucking deals. Um, So even though the, the outcome of only 23 seats wasn't the best, the overall trends, the sea change that's happening, give me faith.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I I'm really encouraged that we did get the house, you know. I, I think a lot of casual observers of politics um particularly on the democratic side, I I think they're not very well versed in exactly what happens and why and you know, they were anticipating this huge blue wave that we were going to take. All of these seats, there would be just a couple things that we lost here and there. Beto's going to win because he's awesome. It doesn't matter that he's in the deep, deep, deep state, deep red state of Texas. Um, You yeah. know, there was there were holding out hope for Stacey Abrams, which I'm still hoping she wins just because Brian Kemp is a fucking jackass. <laughs> and things were so tilted out of whack in his favor because he's the he's the she- guy running the election. Yeah. Um Yeah. That. Uh, Andrew Gillum facing his defeat, you know, where a lot of these casual observers just thought, oh, well, this is a much better person. Clearly they're going to win. And I think maybe there are a couple, a couple dynamics working against them in, in those opinions, right? You have first that perhaps maybe they have too much faith in humanity, <laughs> <laughs> thinking that, well, clearly there are a lot more. Intelligent, rational, caring, compassionate people out there who are going to vote for a candidate who's not a fucking monster and are going to be disappointed there because there are a lot of monsters who want to have monsters running things. And then mm-hmm. also that they just don't really know the deeper inner workings of how politics are actually, re- you know, how campaigns run and how politics plays in specific regions and for specific types of races where Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no shock to me that Beto didn't win. I was really hoping that he would. And I think he, like I said earlier, I think he had, he ran a great campaign. Uh, it was, it was really close. And I think he did an amazing job. And instead everybody just focuses on, well, yeah, but he still fucking lost. Okay. Yeah, he did, but it also demonstrates that if we can encourage more people to get out and actually vote instead mm-hmm. of just bitching about shit, we can change things. If we were able to get a few hundred thousand more people in Texas to actually get out and vote for the candidate who would better represent them. He could have one. And yeah. so I think these are all encouraging signs. And when I see that we're taking over the house, we're going to have subpoena power. We're going to have a lot more investigative power over the presidency that, yeah, these are all very, very, very good things. And it does point to a change in attitude and a change in the, Populace here within the United States that they're going to start getting out and voting more often and being more involved. At least I hope they do. I hope this has not turned people away to where they were expecting a giant wave and it didn't happen. And so, well, what's the point of me voting anyway then? But that's just me.
4: Well, my big question is what's going to happen with the Mueller investigation between now and end of January?
3: That is a very good question. So, one of the big pieces of news today also was that Attorney Jeff, Attorney General Jeff Sessions resigned. Well, he was slash fired. fired. Yeah, he was asked to resign. So basically he was fired. And Trump yeah. has installed as the new Attorney General the person who was Jeff Sessions' chief of staff. Yeah. A, a, a Trump loyalist. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were watching the news before we started recording. And apparently there are some question as to whether that move was even legal. I don't know if you know about any of that.
1: Uh, Yes, a little bit. As to the legality, I can't speak to it. Um, I have a vague recollection that if an individual resigns as opposed to being fired, that the president can um, appoint somebody up to 210 days uh, until... Uh, they require congressional approval. Um, that's my understanding, um, but I could be wrong. Um, but I'm, I'm yeah, 75% on that, um, mm. that that's the case that he can appoint this guy, and he's got 210 days to get congressional approval for that guy or some new guy.
3: And in 210 days, what kind of havoc can this guy wreak on the Mueller investigation? So I think a lot well, of... You know, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. no you go (laughs) all right no you
1: hang up um (laughs) are we in high school Uh, again (laughs) (laughs) so uh this guy matthew whitaker has spoken on cnn and he wrote an op-ed on cnn uh and the two big things that he has hammered on um is that one Whitaker believes that the Mueller investigation is overreaching by looking into Trump and Trump associated, like we're we're going to call all of the finances Trump Foundation, Trump's like kids, him, all that. We're just going to call it Trump finances for shortness, right? So Whitaker doesn't think that Mueller can look into Trump finances. He thinks that that's an an overextension of the mandate given to um, uh Mueller, which uh as far as we know, authorizes him to investigate Russia election interference, um, and any other crimes, which may arise out of the investigation of that issue. Additionally, there's like two pages worth of redacted data that was given to the, to Congress last year sometime that was supposed to be like additional subjects that he was allowed to cover, but they didn't actually say what those subjects were. They redacted them all. Um, so Whitaker is arguing that like investigating Trump finances is going too far. So we can expect Whitaker to attempt to rein in any Mueller investigation elements that look at Trump's finances. Now, that being said, because uh, Mueller doesn't really make press statements, uh, his press guy is is literally famous in parts of the Internet for just saying no comment. Um, <laughs> We we might not know if when that restriction is implemented uh, as the general public. And then the other thing that Whitaker has proposed, uh, hypothetically, me using my air quote fingers here, um, is that in order to stop the Mueller investigation, uh, he has argued one doesn't necessarily need to fire Mueller, but instead severely restrict funding to the investigation yeah. to the point which it's non-functional. Um, and I think that was less a hypothetical and more of a job application. Yeah. So that's what I would say we should expect in the next 90 days. Um, now once the house takes over, some concepts have already been um, uh like given test balloons, one of which is that if Mueller was fired or rendered ineffective, the House could actually hire him as a special investigator. Um, that they have that authority. They can also subpoena any investigatory work he's already done. And they have said that if Mueller gets fired, um, that they would have him on televised hearings. So that's my wrap up.
3: Hmm. Mm. There's going to be a shit ton of news in the next few days about this, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: move org had protests planned and they have pulled the trigger on it. Yeah. So 5 p.m. local tomorrow. Well, okay. November 8th, so by the time you're listening to this, it will have already happened, but uh, November 8th, 5 p.m. local, um, I hope you were at protest.
3: Yes. I'm trying to think if I will be able to attend. I think I I will be able to attend a protest tomorrow. I'm
4: I'm guessing it's got the state capitol.
3: Probably. I'll have so to... if you go to
1: move on.org, they've got a state by state. And in fact, in many cases, metropolitan area by metropolitan area of okay. um, registered protests so that, you know, the right place to go um, so that misinformation doesn't uh, travel.
2: So, and then so again, this is fuck in the future.
1: Up. These protests would have already happened. But um, if you ever go to a protest, stay calm. Don't yield to like provocateurs who try to cause violence and disruptions um as a matter of general practice
3: mm-hmm. i like to laugh at them because it makes them even more angry yeah th- there was one
4: here where a guy was literally running around with a um, american flag and a trump t-shirt on and a mega hat on and like body armor like running through the crowd up to state capitol i'm like and nobody did a thing to him They just kind of like laughed at him and let him run around acting like a jackass and he kind of left because nobody started shit with him like he it looked like he had worn his
3: fucking hockey pads waiting for a fight. That didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah, I I think there's going to be a ton of news breaking for the next week for sure. Um, and I think it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And worse. Uh, did you watch uh, Trump? Taking taking questions from reporters today, one of the reporters, I I can't remember the guy's name or, or what organization he was with. But as we were watching the news prior to recording tonight, there was a reporter who asked Trump if, you know, if if the new. Democratic House is seated and they start investigating him and his finances. Can can he compartmental can Trump compartmentalize that and still work toward benefiting the citizens of the United States? And Trump actually said on fucking television, no. I think I think it's move into more of a war stance. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't yeah, like I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be surprised by the things that fall out of that fucking dummy's mouth, but I I am still surprised at just how truly awful a human being and president he is.
4: He's he's just gonna sit on a stack of money, smoking a cigar, watching everybody fight.
3: <laughs> it's it's all it's all terrible, and it's going to get worse before it gets better, but the key thing to remember is that it will get better. Well, that's what my, Probably. my Probably.
4: I was wondering if Mueller will accelerate the uh, timetable of his probe with the recent uh, goings on with people being fired. Who Jeff knows? Sessions being fired. If he would, if he's, that's, if he's got what he needs, Yeah, you know, if he's got enough there to actually bring it forward. I wonder if he'll do that sooner rather than later.
3: Well, what's what's I, really disturbing to me is that this new a this new AG who Trump has appointed doesn't seem to understand that there should be a separation between the Justice Department and yes. the Office of the President. Yeah. He he it looks like he's going to be working hand in, in hand, hand with with Donald Trump yeah. and that's that's something that should never happen. I mean to right. his
1: well and I would almost counter that kind of language like I I don't think that he doesn't understand that there should be a separation of those powers. Yeah. I think he knows that and he doesn't care. You know, I think that there's a lot of like this, this is not a dig at you. You just happen to be the person that brought it up. Um, but like in, in the media and pundits and politicians, there's been a lot of like these people don't seem to understand that X institution is supposed to function Y way. And, and I've been frustrated with that because, they know how these institutions are supposed to function they don't want them to function that way for them
3: yeah they're they're just looking to take advantage of it wherever they possibly can and it's one yeah. of those things that the the party who you know touts itself as being this this moral bastion this this league of people who are You know, forthright, moral, ethical, they're the standard bearers, they're God's chosen people to lead this country, are all the most immoral, unethical fucking bastards. I can imagine holding office and they all know what they're doing is unethical and they just don't fucking care.
1: Right. Well, so there's this book, it's called How Democracies Die, Um, and it does what it says on the tin. Um, and one of the points that they bring up is this concept called forbearance, which is if you are elected to govern, um, you don't use your powers of governance to uh, make it more difficult for the other side to win in the future because your goal is to govern well, not to hold power. And, and you recognize often that like if you break the rules to make it more difficult for the other party, the other party might do the same for you. Um, so a, a well-functioning democracy doesn't do that. Um, but then we've seen uh illiberal democracies and, and failing democracies like Hungary, Turkey, Poland, um, do things like uh abridge the freedom of the press, uh stack courts, um, you know, buy out, not buy out, but but take over control of, of industries um and, and quelch free speech. Um, and now we're starting to see similar things here, you know, with, with folks like Kemp, right? Uh, or, or Kobach, right? Using the power that you have as secretary of state to influence who can vote in the election you're running in. Um, that's, that's illiberal democracy at work.
3: And it's very sad to see. Was there anything else you want to talk about as far as the election goes?
1: I don't think so. Congratulations on beating Mia Love. But no, I I think that's (laughs) actually as far as the election stuff.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing that I was really excited about here in Utah is that Prop 2 passed, which was to allow the use of medical marijuana for people who can be prescribed by their doctor that they should be allowed to use medical cannabis. Um, I know a lot of people who that will greatly benefit. I know someone very close to me personally. Who has multiple sclerosis and they are, they're, they're one of the working poor. They, they work two jobs part time to try to equal out to a full time job. You know, it's, it's a person who has MS and isn't able to work in just any job out there Mm -hmm. is affected by not being able to get insurance prior to Obamacare because they had a pre existing medical condition. Now they're able to have medical care, but it still costs quite a bit. And they're working two jobs to try to cover that. But even though they now have medical care, they can't afford their prescriptions. Weed is a lot uh, less expensive for them. And this person has gone off of all of their MS meds and is treating their disease exclusively through the use of cannabis and hasn't had a flare up since they've gone to strictly using cannabis. I don't know that that is exactly the best thing in the world. I mean, you would, you would think that your doctor would want you to stay on your medication, but I, I mean, I, I know this person, I see them on a regular basis and they're doing better now using weed exclusively than they were before when they were using their medications. And perhaps part of the problem is that they couldn't afford to maintain their medications. They like like a lot of other people here in the United States, like their prescription pills. was wasn't exactly mm-hmm. affordable for them. So yeah, they would they'd skip a day or two on yeah. their pills and try to ration them out because they couldn't afford to buy them every month. And weed has been helping them quite a bit. I think I think it's a good thing. I think our legislature I think our legislature will do what they can to fuck it up, but oh, yeah, it's kind. a good start anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they they at least have to do something about it now.
1: I'm a huge fan of that. Um, you know, I I can't uh do any stuff like that. I uh you know, I've I've got a history of, of military service and that kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, I definitely support that sort of legalization and, and honestly research. You know, there's a lot of I've got a lot of very hippie friends who seem to think that weed is a panacea for damn near everything. And it's not, <laughs> yeah. uh, or if it is, we don't know because there's not enough research and I really want to see more research done. And that'll be easier if it's, if it's schedule is reduced. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about mushrooms. You know, there's been a preliminary study that's shown that mushrooms are incredibly effective at treating PTSD. And Given that we've been at war for 17 years now, it would be really cool if we had better ways of treating that. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'm a huge fan of those kinds of of resolutions. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Hector Garcia, author of Alpha God, and you are listening to Godless
1: Revolution. What does Christianity say? Ah, those laws can be
2: suspended and in your favor too, if you make the right prayers and propitiations and sacrifices. There can be a virgin can conceive, a dead body can walk again.
3: Your leprosy can be cured. The blind can see nonsense. It's not moral to lie to children. It's not moral to lie to ignorant, uneducated people and to tell them that if they will only believe nonsense, they can be saved. It's immoral. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. Let's move on and talk about the uh, debate between Steve Bannon and David Frum a little bit more now. as, as I mentioned earlier, the debate itself—I didn't—I didn't notice anything of particular import that was said during the debate. I didn't—I don't think any new ground was broken. I don't think there was any real terrific gotcha moments or aha moments or nothing really profound came out of the debate itself. I think what was more interesting to me was the the reaction of a lot of people uh after the debate and and a lot of the news surrounding the debate um for those of you who don't know um the monk debate series happens i believe it's twice per year hosted in canada and for this particular debate it was david from and who was was he bush's speechwriter is that correct
1: uh, he was one of Bush's speechwriters, yes.
3: Yeah, I know he decided he was on his cabinet. Or. Yeah, long-time yeah. long Republican. I think he yeah. may have disavowed being um, a Republican these it days. It sounds like he's still... He's definitely not a Trump Republican. No,
4: no. I, I think it It sounded like he was still claiming that he is a conservative Republican, just not what is
1: out there right now. Yeah. And then we... Yeah. He and, wrote a book in, I want to say, the 70s that William F Buckley called a breath of
3: fresh air. <laughs> so so he has some conservative bona fides. Yes. He's he's not some left-wing nut out there trying to counter the things that Bannon is saying. He he as a conservative republican can look at Bannon and Trumpism and see how dangerous it is. And that was part of the reason why they had this debate. So a Monk ho- the, the Monk series of debates hosted this in Canada, and they trotted out a new technology that they were using for the first time during this debate. One of the things that has always bothered me about debates is the way in which the, the premise of the debate is stated. And I think a lot of people get easily confused by that. Um, so the the debate was on populism versus liberalism, and I'm reading from the notes that, that you've supplied. Uh, but the resolution was that, be it resolved, the future of Western politics is populist, not liberal. Uh, speaking on the pro side was Bannon, and on the negative side was from. Um, yes. Can you, can you explain a little bit more to us about what... The the resolution was and and what they're what they're actually trying to debate in this because I think a lot of people get confused by the word populism thinking that oh well yeah Trump is a TV host he's popular that's what they're talking about he's he's a he's a popular figure in the media and you know that kind of populism is what he's espousing and wanting to do but no that's not it at all
1: mm-hmm. um, so populist is is one of those words honestly like liberal. Um, it kind of belongs to a bygone era. Um, I don't know whether or not this is worth discussing later on, but it's later in my notes where, where I've been discussing that a lot of the 1700s founding fathers, ideas of politics and words for politics are kind of out of date, um, like liberal, for example, a liberal democracy is, um, a democracy that has enlightenment values. Um, by way of rational debate, freedom of speech, uh, you know, certain protections against the government, uh, but also certain protections for the government. Um, it assumes that the majority should rule, but they should rule in such a way as to not disenfranchise minorities uh, and generally takes a fairly libertarian stance by way of saying that, like, people should be extended as much freedom as possible insofar as that freedom does not infringe Uh, unreasonably upon the freedoms of others. You know, these sort of like, you can swing your arm until it hits my face. Um, Populism, on the other hand, is much closer to what the founding fathers would have called mob rule. Uh, It's very much whoever's in the majority or at least holds the majority of the power uh, sets the rules and everyone else needs to deal with it. Um, and that's what Bannon was arguing in support of when he what he called economic nationalism, which is really just a, a euphemism for um uh i'll call it that national socialism um the the government style that fascists in the nineteen thirties were advocating. I hope that answers your question,
3: yeah, yeah, it does. Like I say one of the one of the things that I find sometimes frustrating about the premise of of a debate is just the way it's worded and who is on the pro side who is on the con side and the monk debate series decided to roll out a a new technology as far as their debates are concerned where people are given a handheld device where they can vote whether they agree with the resolution or disagree with the resolution basically are they for or against the resolution then they also gave them an opportunity to vote on the, if they were willing to change their mind and be swayed through the process of the debate. And then at the end of the debate, they hold another voting round to see if minds were actually changed during the debate. Um, before we get into a lot of the, the numbers, basically it broke down to, I think it was 72% were in favor of of the resolution 28% were opposed and
1: uh opposite of that, opposite of that. Okay. so and, and there you go like there's there's how shitty those those are presented um,
3: <laughs> i'm easily confused uh, so. we were, were in negation of the
1: resolution which meant that they perf- that they think the future is liberal not populist 28% were in affirmation of the resolution which meant they thought that the future of western politics was populist.
0: Well, how many of those people can we count on for knowing what
1: they were voting for? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, they were Canadian.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that that's part of my issue with it is that it's it's just so clumsily worded and confusing for a lot of people and they're using this new device that, you know, they've they're they sat down in the auditorium and they're seeing this for the first time. And yeah, it was just it was clearly prone to error, and that played out at the end of the debate. But we'll we'll get to that point eventually.
4: I'm I'm betting most people voted either for Bannon or against Bannon,
1: mm-hmm. or for. And I most people knew that voting negative meant they were voting against Bannon. Say that again. I. I In the way that Ryan said that he thinks most people thought they were voting either for Bannon or against Bannon, I I would suspect that the Canadian audience, and and likely uh, more educated audience, that they were attending a debate for fun on a Friday evening, (laughs) um, probably uh, knew that by voting in negation, they were voting against Against. Bannon.
3: Okay. So, when we get to the actual – con, so, tell us. I'm, I'm, I'm just viewing your notes here. Why don't, why don't you kind of take us through how you saw the debate? So, so
1: I, I don't think it would be good for honestly the listeners to go through this thing kind of segment by segment. It was standard debate format, you know, opening arguments and then rebuttals. Um, But ultimately what I observed was that there was an argument uh, between from and between Bannon. Uh, on from side, he was arguing for classical liberalism, this idea of uh, democracies um, working together, uh, the sort of post-World War II world order where uh, democracies don't fight each other, where you uplift the people within your society. And Bannon was arguing ultimately for uh, an America first type policy. yeah, um, and, and briefly, he dropped his mask, mask and started talking a little bit about uh, kind of dominionist politics, but he got out of that really quickly. Um, and I honestly think he only brought it up because he was nervous at that particular point. Um, he knew his au- audience, uh, Bannon did. Um, but if I could give you a summary of this debate, it was a couple of old white boomers Making boomer arguments using a boomer debate format, uh, and a lot of the stuff that they were arguing about, frankly, were debate points for a dead era. Um, and some of my notes reflect that. Um, when when Frum describes himself as conservative, he describes himself as as conserving the things in the liberal order, conserving the right to vote, conserving a separation of church and state, conserving uh, you know one person one vote, uh, which honestly hasn't been a conservative value since Goldwater. Um, and I think he's using an older romanticized version of the word conservative because that adheres to his description of himself, you know, his self-image, and it's not really accurate. And, then, and as I mentioned before, Bannon was arguing ultimately for what he labeled economic nationalism, but what was actually national socialism, uh, which is seizing the... Um, means of production, uh, for the populists, uh, or for the nationalists within a given state to their benefit, um, which is exactly the sort of political stance that, uh, Hitler and Mussolini had in Germany and Italy respectively. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's my summary as far as what went on is that they were arguing like old shit. Um, at one point Bannon brought up Westphalian, spheres of influence, which is literally 1800s politics. <laughs> um, and that's what kind of disappointed me about the debate is that these two guys were not talking about really anything relevant to the future. They were based in the past.
3: I, I think when you have a couple conservatives on stage, that that would almost be the inevitable result that they're going to be talking about a romanticized version of what they see as, or what they have this vision of as being an idyllic state where, you know, in the fifties, in the forties and fifties, they, everybody just got along. The middle class was thriving. You know, it didn't matter that women and, and people of color weren't able to vote, had diminished rights or didn't have full civil rights, that gay people weren't able to marry who they love. I think they look at those things as. Well, of course. We we didn't want them, and that's why we're why things were so good. Um I noticed that during Bannon's opening So throughout the debate I I caught Bannon just absolutely lying through his fucking oh, teeth. Yeah. I mean yeah. at at different points of the debate saying that, you know, the the increase in job numbers that we see, the the good economy that we see, those are all results of Trump's policies. When well, and Frum
4: tried to call him out on saying no, that's just a continuation of Obama's policies. It's numbers haven't mm-hmm. right gone up in a significance to show, hey, this is Trump doing this. Like, no, it's just on a same steady incline from Obama.
3: Yeah, you're riding out the wave of Obama's yeah. policies basically. Um and Frum actually did make that point by saying that, you know, well, you know, Mr. Bannon has pointed out that last month there were Two hundred thirty or two hundred seventy thousand jobs yeah. created, mm-hmm. or whatever he said, and during the last during the last quarter or month of the Obama presidency, we were looking at 300,000 yeah. 300, new jobs created every month. So you can't say that it's better than when Obama was in office. You're just writing this right. out, so. But I did notice, Bannon, yeah, I like, like I say, just lying repeatedly throughout any time that he was on on stage talking.
4: The the middle class, yeah, and, tax and cuts. I think. I'm sorry. I bet. I was just saying that he he had it was it was closer to the end where he was talking about how much Trump is helping out the citizens by and he, and he gave the example of or or putting out a middle class or a, a tax cut for the middle class last week. It's like, no, I think Trump talked about that, but he didn't do it. He
1: decided, no, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> Well, there's no way he could have. Like, no. he can't just declare a tax break by fiat. That's literally not how government works. But this is Trump. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm with you. I'm with you that he lied. Yes. Um, well, and, and so interestingly, um, I fact checked um, a lot of the claims that that Bannon made, and and this speaks to his rhetorical style. Um, he uses what are often considered to be like liberal in the modern sense, as opposed to like you know, like are aligned with Democrat points economically. Um, every single data point that he brought up in terms of pre-Trump, in terms of uh, uh, people's lack of faith that the government was working for them, the loss of share of uh, uh, wealth gain, uh, lack of wage increases, all those data points that he was talking about for Americans are accurate data points. Like he was telling factual things when he was making those points. And basically everything he said after Trump was elected was either a lie or a misrepresentation. Um, and it's obvious why he's doing that. You know, He's creating credibility for himself by using accurate points and hoping that people take for granted that the remainder of his points are accurate.
4: Well, I also found it interesting when he's talking about the EU, because at one point he's saying that the EU, you know, with the breaking up of Brexit and all that, Saying they just want to be sovereign states like the United States has with like North Carolina or Virginia. And, and, and my thought with that is I'm like, okay, don't they already have that with the European Union?
1: Yeah. And in fact, the countries in the European Union are more sovereign than the states in the United States. Yeah. And he was, he was
4: making it sound like they're trying to achieve what we have here in the United States, where I'm like, that's kind of what the EU does. The EU is like the federal tax.
1: Yeah. Well, keep in mind that the people who, the types of people who follow Bannon are going to tend to be the like new world order types. So they're going to have a skewed view of the world as it exists. And also a skewed view of the, um, like the legal foundations uh, under which the federalist government is established. You know, a lot of these uh, nuts on the like anti-federalist side, you know, your, your Clive and Bundy types. Sincerely believe that the highest authority that you can assert over an individual is a local sheriff. Um, mm-hmm. And he appeals to those people, yeah. uh, not at this debate, but they will see clips of this. The sovereign so citizen that's, types. That's to whom he's arguing.
3: So what brought the debate to my attention initially? Um, I, think I, I think I may have heard that it was happening. But what refocused my attention on it was seeing a tweet from Eli Bosnick, uh, from the puzzle in a thunderstorm, uh, podcasts. And he had retweeted somebody, uh, who had tweeted that their, their opening tweet says to stop giving fascists a platform to, to debate. It's not a joke. The idea that they'll publicly embarrass themselves in front of an unsympathetic audience is a fantasy that wildly misunderstands the way psychology works publicly debating them as a recruiting mechanism and then this person had posted a link to somebody else's tweet who pointed out that at the end of the debate um the 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 people at monk had posted the results of the debate as far as post debate voting and their their earlier initial report on the re, on the voting was that bannon had swayed yeah. a huge number of people in the crowd to his side so later it came out that of course that was absolutely wrong they had screwed up something in their tabulation of the of the results of the debate and people's what people had voted or how they had voted at the end and that ultimately bunch of hanging chads yeah <laughs> yeah and that ultimately the numbers were exactly the same as they were heading into the debate. Um, and when people were pointing this out to the person that Eli had retweeted, the the person in question just kept doubling down and saying, well, okay, well, that, that doesn't really matter. But clearly from their initial tweet, I mean, that was, that was what they opened their tweet thread with, was pointing at the statistics of the final uh, debate results, and saying, this is why you shouldn't give people a platform because they easily sway people because, you know, they, they understand better human psychology and blah, blah, blah. But then when people pointed out, well, that's not really what happened. The numbers didn't change. This person just kept doubling down and saying, okay, well, that's not really the whole point of this When Clearly, that was why they, they yeah. opened the whole tweet thread in the first place. Uh, what are your hmm. thoughts on that? I'm
1: mixed. Um, I, I, if I had only seen the opening arguments, I probably would have agreed with you. Um, Bannon looked really good in his opening argument, um, especially in light of the protester who was applauded stage. um, in terms of some of his retorts. Uh, he made a point, uh, he made some point and a single person cheered and he said, thanks mom, uh, yeah. which drew applause. Yes. Uh, because it was funny, right? Like it doesn't matter who's saying that; that's funny, right? Yeah. Um, and so it humanized Bannon, and I was I was a little worried about that, um, because then after that, David Frum looked bad. Like he was he was shaky, stumbled over his lines. He carried his notes up to uh, up to the stage with him when he was giving his opening arguments, and and from a re- rhetorician's perspective, like, the bad. Like he looked worse. And then the rebuttal started happening, and that radically reversed. Bannon looked like shit for the rest of the debate, um, which is good. I mean, ultimately like that's the goal, right? If you've got a fascist who's got a platform, hopefully you can make his ideas look as bad as they are. Uh, and largely that happened. He was laughed at a lot by the yeah. audience for making obvious lies or hyperbolic statements. Um, in the end, I think that because his audience, was able to laugh at the points he was making, it was probably a net benefit that he spoke. Um, but if it for some reason had like just been their opening arguments or had been a somewhat tighter debate format where they weren't really allowed the opportunity to directly rebut each other, um, yeah, that could have gone bad. like that could have made Bannon look much better than he deserved to look in front of an argument or audience.
3: I'm not sure what you mean by you agree with me or don't agree with me, though. Ah,
1: uh, um, I think that in a one-on-one debate format um, that I agree with from debating Bannon. Be it resolved that Bannon should have debated from.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, we we were talking about this last week a little bit as far as the, the de-platforming.
3: Yeah. Right.
1: Uh right. Like I don't I don't this or I don't agree with deplatforming. Yeah. Go go back and listen to last week's episode <laughs> where I was on because we talked about this at, yeah, at some yeah. length. Um I I am okay with um people who want to speak speaking in as long as they're invited. You know, I don't think that you deserve every platform. Uh and if a university or a debate, you know, a debater doesn't want to speak with you or let you speak, they're under no obligation to do so yeah um yeah. it's it's what they're called deliberative the enclaves that I think should be shut down, and uh this debate was not that
4: yeah and I think this this debate where both people are willing to to sit down and have a conversation like that is the perfect place for these kind of discussions or arguments or thoughts to be put out there, so that way there is a counter to a negative uh spin on stuff for
1: anything yeah well. Well, it, yeah, it gets I'm a person lying. to stand up on a stage and defend the arguments that they're making. You know, you can broadcast yeah. an argument without really defending it, and people might just see your pithy line and say, "Yeah, I agree with that." But if somebody can call you on your bullshit in a debate format and you can't defend it, that makes you look like ass. And there's no way to filter that. You know, most people who watch debate watch the whole debate; they don't just watch the highlight clips. There's yeah. a lot more opportunities to look good and make it impossible to get cherry-picked highlight clips in a in a debate.
4: And I did think that uh, Bannon, actually, in my opinion, I'm like, I've never watched him debate before. I thought he held himself pretty good on stage. He didn't seem to get angry or frustrated. And whenever, like when the audience would kind of get mad at him, he would kind of just give that weird kind of smile and kind of laugh back at him and then just continue on, which... That kind of disturbed me in a weird way.
3: Well, I think he's always been a I think he's always been a good speaker. Yeah. It's just that his ideas are toxic. It,
4: they are. But yeah. the way he delivered them, I thought I'm like, he he delivers his ideas.
0: I I got the same good. I got the same feeling. It actually ties back into some of our Halloween episodes where when you finally do when they finally catch that serial killer monster and it's Ted Bundy and you're like, wait, what, that guy's just like us? Like you're expecting <laughs> <laughs> something so, you know, when you when you only hear about the things they're doing, like with Trump and Bannon, like you expect something so unhuman, like dis dissimilar to what to what you're like. But when he's up there on stage looking normal and human, it's a little unsettling.
1: I've got to preface this by saying I would not necessarily call myself an expert, um, but I worked with a company for a while that did lie detection based on expressions. Um. Basically, the Paul Ekman stuff if you've ever seen. Lie to me. That show's actually not terribly inaccurate. Everything. Yeah, I like that fast. show. I mm. wish it
4: wouldn't have gotten canceled. I like that show too.
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's based on actual science. Again, it's just Hollywooded up. Okay. Right. Um. But it's it's more accurate to its source material than say like CSI is right. <laughs> um i I also took some profiling courses when i was doing my um intelligence program at psychological profiling again i i don't have a phd in this subject so i wouldn't call myself an expert on it but that being said i do have some experience and i've also done a shit ton of research on bannon in particular um and watching bannon debate solidified for me a assessment that I've been kind of building for quite some time. Um, Bannon is not a sociopath. Um, I honestly think that he honestly thinks that he is doing the right thing. Um, he lies. Uh, his consequences are evil, um, but there's a difference between like, you know, Marvel style villains, right? Like some guys just want to blow up the planet and other guys literally think that they're doing the right thing when they're doing the wrong thing. And I think Bannon is one of those. Uh, and that showed in a lot of his expressions that he made during that debate.
4: Now, do you, do you believe he's lying
1: intentionally or he believes the lie? Um, so what's that term like lying for Jesus? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think he's doing that. OK, I think that he feels as though his lies or his misrepresentations are necessary. This is me getting inside his head uh, that those lies are necessary to um, like the the pill and peanut butter to get people to accept populism for their own good. The ends justify the means. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a way more succinct way of putting it.
4: And then (laughs) when we're talking about millennials earlier, he said towards the end that the millennials are his target audience right now.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that gets into he he is a true believer of this book uh, called Generations, written by a couple of um, basically amateur historians and sociologists, uh, Strauss and Howe. Um, and that book makes the argument that there are uh, four generation cycles that occur regularly. And the best way to summarize that is saying um, hard times make hard men. Hard men make soft yeah. times. Soft times make soft men. Soft men make hard times. Uh, so he would argue. Uh, the generations, guys, and Bannon would argue that World War II was the last hard time, and the Greatest Generation won that fight, rose to the occasion, and they they led to the economic success that the Boomers then picked up. And the Boomers are spoiled, and because they were spoiled, they created an, uh, a hard time. Because they lived through easy times, they created a hard time with their. Um, Economic, uh, issues that they created. And he speaks to that when he says his inciting incident was the economic crash caused by Bush. You know, mm-hmm. to him, that's the, uh, beginning of the hard times that were created by the boomer generation. And so in that same cyclical nature, he thinks that the millennial generation is the equivalent of the greatest generation in World War II that's going to rise to the occasion. And in his view, uh, bring on this populist revolution and change the way governance is done in accordance with with his ideology.
4: Well I I hope they do rise to the occasion, but not for his ideology. Right. Well,
1: and and so the funny thing is is I am not as much a true believer as Bannon um, and I recognize there are flaws in the book, but they're on to something. And and I do. I think that um that the occasion that millennials and Gen Z are rising to is the way that the boomers largely fucked everyone over, and their response, as David Frum would say, is not to destroy democracy but to repair it.
4: Yeah, because well, David Frum, he had a he had a good. I I've left my notes at
3: home. Because uh, there, there was <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. That I know. was, that was beautiful. really useful so, over there. So, just, yeah. <laughs> so just as an aside, real quick. So Ryan shows up, right? He he gets here and Tracy's getting ready to go. She's going to go. She her Tracy and her mom and her sister do this thing sometimes where they just go and fuck around in a store. Like they just. People watching? No, they just like they try on stupid hats and oh. make fun of each other. And like they just. Yeah, they have a great time doing it. I don't quite understand it, but they have a lot of fun doing it. So she was getting ready to go out and do that with her mom and sister tonight and Ryan walks in and he's like guess what my big dumb ass did today and Tracy's Tracy said something like oh you're going to have to give us a much smaller target or yeah. something like that. <laughs> she got me i i was going to write it down because it was just like the perfect zinger and she's like yeah that's right she's not feeling well she's like yeah that's right i'm sick but i'm still sharp as fuck <laughs> <laughs> It was just funny, uh, but I'm sorry. Please continue with your,
4: <laughs> but at, at one point when, when, uh, David Frum was coming back at Dave Bannon, he had said something along the lines and I'd read it, that wrote it down, uh, where it's, did you write down Dave Bannon? No, I didn't write it. He did, his name wasn't in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I might wrote down David Bannon set or Frum said, um, but he said, uh, it was along the lines of, uh, we should take a good idea and fix its flaws rather than uh, adopt a horrible idea
1: yes yeah that that was one of several really good quotes that from had uh i i like that a lot
4: yeah because i i'm like i hadn't heard put that i mean i've 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 had the same thought like hey we got something decent right now it's got some flaws to it. let's fix the flaws instead of just fucking throwing it all away and just going to something that might be complete shit and I hope that's what the yeah. millennials in the next generation is coming up and they're just starting to vote right now. will look at going, hey, I like what we got, but I think it can be improved upon versus let's scrap all the shit, which is basically what Dave or not. Now I'm saying Dave Bannon, <laughs> what Steve Bannon wants to do is just scrap it.
3: Sloppy
1: Steve. Yeah. Yeah. The The failures of a good system are not a reason to turn to an evil one. Yeah, that's that's what it was.
0: If there is a good thing to come out of Bannon and Trump, it's that the millennials are growing up seeing uh, an awful, awful, awful representation who happens to be on the political right. And I think that'll push them if they were undecided.
1: Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, there's a whole anchoring effect um, that that if during your foundational years, whatever the prevailing political attitude is will tend to flavor your politics for life. Um, so the argument is made that like the whole you're a liberal when you're young and conservative when you're old is total bullshit. Um, that the boomers disproportionately seemed liberal because of the protests against Vietnam. But in fact, only a very tiny amount of boomers actually protested Vietnam and a larger number volunteered to join the military during that time period and so on. Um, and it looks like if you take the entire cohort of the millennials and Gen Z, the vast majority of us uh, grew up watching Bush and now Trump. Yeah. Our foundational mm-hmm. political experiences have been shitty, Republican, uh, shitty Republicans running shitty governments.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And the next, I mean, the next 2020 election, there's going to be a lot of first-time voters that have lived their entire lives where this country's been at war. And they've had to deal with
1: school shootings on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's already happening now. As of last month, there are people joining the military who for their entire lives, our country has been at war.
4: Yeah. Yeah. They're going to go fight in a war that started before they were fucking born. So,
3: so just to clarify things for me and you probably addressed this and I'm, I missed it because I'm tired and my brain is scattered. But so when you say that people who grow up in a, you know, surrounded by a particular uh, political ideology, is it that they, become normalized to that and they view that as a, as a normal way the politics are carried out, or are you saying that they can see how terrible things are and will work to change it?
1: Um, so, ah, uh, um, I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this. Uh, it's called political generational theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to try and read this out loud on the spot, but basically, um, Based on the circumstances of one's foundational years, roughly defined as like from puberty until adulthood, um, when your brain starts cooking, right? When you really have a sense of self, um,
3: when your prefrontal cortex are, finishes developing.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, go say that again.
3: Oh, when your prefrontal cortex finishes developing, and boobies are really yeah. cool. <laughs> I,
1: thought that sentence was going a different direction and I'm really glad it ended the way it did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes. So basically the growth period of the prefrontal cortex. Um, so during that time period, crazy young people are aware of their surroundings uh, and they consider them. And so if they see good leadership or bad leadership, Um, and especially bad leadership, that will stick with them. So if they see a given individual or or group of individuals being fuck-ups, that will stick with them. So my assessment would be is that you're going to see lifelong adherence in general to the Democratic Party or its equivalent um, by millennials and Gen Z. Now, I'm not saying all of them are going to be Democrat voters, but a larger proportion of them, Will be than would otherwise if we hadn't had the colossal fuck ups of the Bush and Trump administrations.
2: Hmm. And that's and what-
1: that's, uh, that's political generation uh, theory or generational, polit- motherfucker, I can't get this right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a theory for that.
4: Well, that's what we make when they show the, the, the breakdown of between ages and genders and whatever for the votes
3: all the all, demographics
4: all the demographics that's the word i needed right there <laughs> um that the younger voters do tend to vote more uh democrat
2: mm-hmm. and we're just going to keep yeah.
4: adding to that hopefully and they stay in it like you're saying like if they if they continue being a lifelong democratic voter um the future looks better. Well,
3: and so I think Bannon Bannon recognizes that the boomers are dying off and yeah. losing relevance. And so of course the millennials are his yeah. target audience. They are his target. Yeah. He's he's who yeah. he wants to recruit. I think we
0: shouldn't I think we should be careful of overstating because there's a huge streak of millennials that are nationalist, racist, oh, there is. Yeah. neo-Nazi thugs. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Spencer, I know a handful that are diehard Trump supporters um all the people that marched on uh, charlottesville and all that yeah. mm-hmm. are millennials but by the numbers
4: right they're, they're outnumbered nationally
1: yeah but significantly um i mean in in the single digits of people uh support that and, and, uh based on numbers i've seen and since charlottesville mm-hmm. a lot of those people have gone underground yeah well not they just died. underground um yeah. literally scared out of the movement yeah. um prevailing violent extremism theory argues that individuals who would be prone toward like violent extremism uh, tend to basically be looking for off ramps. Uh, they are trying to find ways subconsciously, of course, to de-radicalize, and whether that becomes a new relationship or a new source of identity, community and purpose, um, whatever it may be. Most people will take what's called an off-ramp as soon as the opportunity presents itself. Uh, and it's, it, the study of violent extremism looks a lot more at the people who don't take those off-ramps than the people who do because of how much people tend to take those off-ramps. So Charlottesville was a massive off-ramp for a lot of people prone to that sort of, you know, modern blend of, of nationalism. Yeah.
3: I think that, like I said, I think the debate was interesting, but not groundbreaking. Um, I think it was good that From was able to counter Bannon's points pretty well and pretty handily. Yeah. But yeah, it was, had, had I not seen a lot of people freaking out about, oh, well, this is how incredibly gullible and stupid people are that Steve Bannon can so easily sway them, you know, that in... An hour and a half's time, he's turned a bunch of people into Nazis. I was like, calm down, calm down, calm down. It's going to be okay.
1: Hi, I'm Taylor Grin, sometimes known as Alexander Scholl, especially back on episodes 151 and 152 uh, back in April 2017, where I talked about Steve Bannon. So if you liked our coverage of that debate, go back to episodes 151 and 152 where Dan, Ryan and Matt delivered a profile I wrote about Steve Bannon and you can figure out how bad a guy he really is. A presidential press conference elicited the same reaction you get from people who just watch someone shoot fireworks out of his ass.
3: <laughs> Which when you think about it is actually fitting because whenever Trump speaks, what is it essentially other than just random sparks and flames sputtering noisily out of a damaged asshole?
2: If you have questions,
3: comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330 81 Rebel, or Twitter, the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you. So I want to move to a little bit of a a correction, maybe. Um, Yeah. Last week, (laughs) last week, uh, when we were talking about. Dan crushed my hopes of good future stuff. (laughs) When we were talking about how to get people to change their minds and, you know, do we, do we need to break up these deliberative enclaves? Do we need to deplatform people? How can we stop this rising tide of fascism, nationalism, Nazism, all of the, all of the bad isms that are out there that are illiberal, that are, really not good for anybody but those in power uh ryan had mentioned who he i think i think you said something about well there was that there was that black preacher guy or there was yeah there was there was there was a guy who had gone befriended and spoken to, the yeah, befriended kkk members and KKK. was getting their robes right 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 and that you know maybe maybe it's having those you know one-on-one dialogues with people where you can uh, better persuade them you can show them that you're not the enemy that you are a human being that you can have these relationships built with people on opposite sides of the fence and still be able to work work things out and bring people out of these harmful ideolo- harmful ideological stances and it was it was your indecision or not knowing or questioning whether the guy was a preacher or not that while I was editing the show, I decided, Oh, well, while I'm doing the show notes, I should figure out, is this guy a preacher? Where is he from? What was his name? Give a little bit of history as I'm adding this information into the show notes that I ran across this article from medium, uh, from writer, Justin Ward. It says, Daryl Davis makes a new friend. And I'm, I'm going to read if not all of the article, quite a, a large portion of it. Um, it starts out with a picture of Richard Spencer posing with Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is the... He's
4: the guy I was referring to last week.
3: Right. Who had had Klan members turn in their robes. Yeah. Uh, the story starts and says that a black blues musician who collects the hoods and robes, so not a preacher, a black blues musician... That's close (laughs) enough. ...who collects the hoods and robes of Klan members he has befriended. Daryl Davis has been the subject of daytime talk shows and Netflix documentary and a seemingly endless series of features and think pieces. His name is often invoked in arguments about the proper response to resurgent white supremacy in the Trump era, which breaks down into two positions, dialogue versus confrontation. Should we defeat them in the streets or in the marketplace of ideas? Should we hear them out or shut them down? Should we hug them or punch them? Today, white nationalist Richard Spencer tweeted out an image of him and Davis together. If Davis were to convince him to abandon his racist views, it would be a huge win yet there are plenty of reasons to doubt his chances. The next section of the story is headlined, No More KKK in Maryland. In a time of polarization, the fantasy that racism can be defeated by chatting with Klansmen over a few beers is alluring. Not long ago, I was one of those gullible people citing Daryl Davis as proof that there is another way. So you're not alone, Ryan.
4: No. And the piece I had watched was very convincing. Like <laughs> like he has the robes and he's talking to the ex some, some ex-Klansmen that he had talked with. It seemed very convincing.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, killing them with kindness and so on. But the events in Charlottesville changed that. One of the many episodes of violence at the Unite the Right rally was an incident in which a man named Richard Preston fired his gun at a black counter-protester. Preston, Imperial Wizard of the Maryland-based Confederate White Knights, is another one of Davis's, quote, friends. Ah. Davis appeared as a character witness at his preliminary hearing last December, where a judge charged Preston with the crime of discharging a firearm within 1,000 feet of a school, a Class 4 felony, with six being the least severe. Wait. He didn't get charged with trying to, trying to shoot at a person,
4: but shooting too close to a school?
3: Well, I think they probably, I mean, you can't necessarily prove intent. Okay. Right. So, uh, given the circumstances as well as Preston's prior arrests for rape and assault, the charge seems a little slight or a little yeah. light, sorry. And it's hard to imagine such leniency had absolutely nothing to do with the testimony of someone like Davis, a guy famous for, for supposedly putting Klansmen on the road to redemption. The size and activity of Preston's organization, which now has 11, which now has chapters in 11 states, undermines Davis's core nar- narrative. The Netflix documentary Accidental Courtesy, Davis gets into heated arguments with Baltimore Black Lives Matter activists who are rightfully skeptical of his claim that, quote, there is no more Ku Klux Klan in the state of Maryland. And then it's got a, a couple quotes here from that. And quotes first person as Rose. So, since 1990, which is longer than I've been alive, you've been trying to infiltrate the Klan, but what does that do for people? Davis replies, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what it does, okay? The state of Maryland had a large Klan organization. When the Imperial Wizard, which means the national leader, when he turned in his robe to me, the Maryland Ku Klux Klan fell apart. Story continues and says Davis is referring to his friendship with Roger Kelly, an Imperial Wizard of an earlier Maryland Klan Klan group. But after that group dissolved, the Klan reconstituted itself under Preston's leadership in 2013. In the same year that accidental courtesy came out, Preston was on the road holding rallies in Pennsylvania and Indiana, steadily building his organization. According to the Baltimore Sun, Preston had engaged in a rebranding in the past few years. He had no doubt seen Davis as useful to that and other ends. In addition to testifying at the hearing, Davis had also allegedly offered a post- or I'm sorry, offered to post a sizable chunk of Preston's $50,000 bail. Virginia Klansman Scott Woods, who also testified, rationalizes the relationship with Davis by explaining that Preston is obviously using him. And it's got a quote, it looks like, from Facebook, posted by Scott Woods, says, Mm. The ape was a witness, Foe Richard, and was willing to put up $25,000 for his bail. He said he'd take the nigger's money and fuck him. I'm not part of that conversation. There was only me and one of my Virginia members there from CWK. The other Klansmen were from RBK. We stayed away from that and the cameras. Woods, along with several Klansmen and members of the League of the South, were discussing Davis's encounter with Rebel Brigade Knights leader Bill Snuffer outside the courthouse, which became the subject of a boilerplate CNN piece titled What Happened When a Klansman Met a Black Man in Charlottesville? The banal feel-goodery of cable news conceals an uglier reality. When the cameras are off and they're among friends, who they really are comes out. They repeatedly call for his lynching and refer to him as a pavement ape. As noble as Davis's intentions may be, there are several reasons why his approach is doomed to fail. To start with, it misunderstands the scale and systemic nature of racism in America. The underlying assumption is that racism results from a lack of personal relationships with black people and that befriending white supremacists will somehow awaken them to the reality of black personhood. While prejudices are certainly fostered and worsened by not having contact with people of other races, racial prejudice is not the same as racism. They are respectively the symptom and the disease. These attitudes don't arise in a vacuum. They are entrenched, rooted in centuries of history, and shaped by a host of institutions. For every black person willing to do some time, to do the time consuming, potentially life threatening work of personally trying to overcome the prejudices of hardened white supremacists, there are thousands of other voices reinforcing them. Whether it's media personalities parroting racist stereotypes or opportunistic politicians using the specter of black criminality to pass tough on crime laws. We're getting close to the end here. Bear with me, people. (laughs) <laughs> the next section is titled one of the good ones. Furthermore, Davis underestimates the extent to which the worldview of racists is insulated. A friendship with a black man can easily be reconciled with a brief with the belief in the general inferiority of black people. There are two white supremacist sayings that reflect this reality. IKGO, I know a good one. These are acronyms. I know a good one. And NAXALT, not all X are like that. To quote the definition of Paul Kersey, operation operator of the racist blog Stuff Black People Don't Like, Ikego means, quote, the fallacy that not all blacks are the same, therefore black people are the same as whites, end quote. A number of media outlets have said Davis uses cognitive dissonance to challenge racist beliefs, but racists, racists have other ways to resolve this mental contradiction. They simply declare that every good one is the exception that proves the rule. One scene in Accidental Courtesy illustrates this perfectly. In it, a Klansman calls white reporters nigger lovers and then subsequently claims he would fight side-by-side with Davis as a brother. In another, Davis sits beside a former Klansman and laughs while he tells racist jokes. As for Richard Spencer, his beliefs are even less likely to change. While I'm sure this trust-fund baby who attended a private school in an affluent Davis suburb probably hasn't been around black people much, I doubt that's his problem. He spent the better part of his life formulating, formulating his identitarian ideology, and I don't think gabbing with Daryl about Jerry Lee Lewis is going to change his mind. Spencer is a grifter, a glib charlatan who uses Orwellian turns of phrase like peaceful ethnic cleansing and voluntary self-deportation as euphemisms for genocide. In other words, he's exactly the type of sociopath who would manipulate an icon to liberal moderates to help further normalize his extermination exterminationist agenda what has been the effect at stopping the bar fight direct action organizing to contest their access to public space bankrupting them through litigation spencer said as much himself but even if Davis, even if davis's success rate were 100% there's the question of cost versus benefit the activists in the documentary rightly pointed out that it's a waste of time and energy that could be better spent organizing against the bigger the bigger systemic problem of racism It's hard enough convincing the general public that black lives matter, much less people who are violently opposed to the idea. So, yes, unfortunately, everything is not sunshine and roses and puppies with... Well, that's what this guy... That doesn't doesn't
4: mean we we can't still try to talk to people.
3: Oh, sure. I'm not (laughs) saying that we should stop trying. But... I'm I'm saying that yeah. Yeah, he's he's not a good example to use anymore. Maybe not the best example. I no. mean it's 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 lovely and it's encouraging that he's willing to try. Uh I think it's unfortunate that he's being used being being used and made made the made a fool by yeah. by these disingenuous fucking racist bastards. So Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, speaking from experience, um You know, when, when I had my military school experience, um, what's that? You were a black guy once
4: when you were a poor black child. Uh,
1: no, but I was a racist (laughs) who became less racist through interaction with a black guy. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I was very much alt right before alt right was a thing back in the mid two thousands. And due to a variety of other disciplinary issues, I was sent to a military school. Um, I had two different roommate situations, uh, during the first roommate situation, he was a white guy and I had no problem literally reading Mein Kampf in my spare time. Um, when my roommate was changed, uh, during like the semi-annual shuffle that they did, my new roommate was, uh, an African-American from Haiti, um, and having to like work with him uh, you know in terms of like passing room inspections and that kind of thing significantly changed my views um, That being said I continued to hold a lot of racist views for several years after that You know, it was the next year when I went back to a high school in st. George that I ran a Student Congress bill to literally build a wall and deport all the Mexicans and this would have been back in like 2004 um, and it was through getting my ass kicked in debates uh that caused me to start to reverse those views. So I don't I on the one hand, I agree that like interacting with people who are different than you helps. It takes concerted effort. And I don't think that you're going to have like a miraculous conversion of anybody. You know, and I can speak from some experience in that.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think it takes all kinds of interaction with people to get them to change their minds that's why you've got diplomats you've got firebrands and it takes all different kinds mm-hmm. all pulling in the same direction hopefully toward equality toward a better life for everybody involved that ultimately gets things done but nobody you know there's no magic bullet that you can that you can use As far as a rhetorical device, as far as changing somebody's opinion on anything, it, it usually takes a wide variety of resources, a wide variety of approaches because we are a diverse and, and disparate people with a wide variety of opinions, social and economic issues, mental issues. You know, people are sloppy and we make mistakes all the time, cognitive errors, logical errors, things that you know, things that may appeal to you one day won't appeal to you the next. So, yeah, I'm no longer a brony. <laughs> You're no longer a brony. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I'm sad to hear that, Ryan. Who am I gonna yeah. bro? Who am I gonna brony down with now? <laughs> uh, that'll wrap it up for the regular portion of the show. We're going to move into the Patreon portion here momentarily. Can you stick around with us for that?
1: Yeah,
3: that would be fine. Awesome. Before we go, I want to make sure that we thank our Patreon supporters. That would be Alan Firth. New Mania, Christy Kalbach. Gaytheist. Larry Wilson. Stephen Andrus. Let them eat covfefe. Two Little chaps. Oh, happy birthday, Mr. Dan Morris, today. Yeah. You won't hear this until later. Dr. So
0: Dan Morris. Happy, <laughs> happy belated
3: <laughs> birthday. Is it my turn? Michelle Short. Vanessa Freethinker215 Utah Outcasts, Janet Uter Marius Katputrakowski Wesley Wayne Aaron
0: Andrew Vodapich. I always do that yeah, I, like, don't, I don't know why I can't wait to get get in the next
4: one <laughs> Hey Taylor what's your name?
0: Uh, uh Taylor Graham Hey <laughs> Angelica Jeremy Goodson Brandy Hamrick Megan Kennedy
3: The Foz Jeff Peterson Jesse Pointer Savita Kuna And the Purple Dragon Thank you all very, very much. And so until next week, crucify a turkey. Leave a review to achieve your Bannoning. And
0: rate the show five times a day toward Dave Bannon.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't fucking think of a thing so far. God damn it. Um, I thought of mine before the show even started. I'll bet you did, and I should probably start doing that.
4: Leave a review and get one bin. Oh, I fucked that up.
3: <laughs> okay, so good. Because then I can, I can start my bit over. And so until now. <laughs> now you see what actually
4: happened. This is why it takes us four hours to do a podcast some nights.
1: Oh. Since you enjoyed today's episode, go back and read those. Fuck.
4: I might have accidentally talked over you when you started again.
3: Accidentally? No, uh, accidentally uh, with my cool. mouth to the microphone.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where I gave a profile on Steve Bannon, you can find out just how terrible a guy he was. Cool. <laughs> but isn't he still a
4: terrible guy? No. <laughs> Fuck.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. All right. One more time.